Welcome back everyone to Aspire to Lead, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Aspire listeners, I am so excited about this interview. I have Eric Francis with me, and he's an international author, educator, presenter, and professional development provider. He's been in the field for over 25 years. I'm so excited to talk about his new book and about depth of knowledge. Before we begin on those topics, I just want to thank you for being on the Aspire to Lead podcast. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity. Eric, we've been connected for some time, and I'm so excited to get a chance to kind of pick at your brain and learn a little bit. And I know my listeners are too. So before we talk about all these wonderful topics, I'd love to learn about your leadership and educational journey. Well, as you said, I've been an educator for over 25 years. I was a middle school and high school teacher. I did become a site administrator. And I'm going to admit to you, I was not successful as a site administrator. I was the perfect example of the reason why we need coaching and uh, mentoring and leadership everything. I, I made all the rookie mistakes and they were all held against me. I, I, there was no, there was no learning curve. Uh, you're expected to hit the ground running. Yep. You know, the coaching I got was, was more like uh, absolving responsibility to tell you the truth. If you think about it, I'd go and say, well, what should I do in this situation? I don't know. What should you do in this situation? I'm like, I'm not here for Jedi mind tricks. I'm here for coaching. Yeah. And, and and a lot of it was, you know, I inherited uh, a, a, an interesting situation. I inherited a couple of uh, um, scandals that happened at my school. But mm. turning a negative into a positive, I would not, it would not have put me on the, the pathway that I am now because what it convinced me was I, I didn't want to be a site administrator. I wanted to be more of an instructional leader. Yeah. And, and I think there's a difference. For sure. Because... When I got into it, we were all pumped up about being instructional leaders, doing professional development. I was doing anything but. I like to say I was a cop without a badge. I was a therapist. I was a, I was a marriage counselor, a family counselor. I was an accountant. I was a politician. And people who, who can, I, I think it takes a certain personality, but I was just not that personality. I would have been much better as an instructional coach or a professional development provider, which I became. But that unsuccessful experience led me to go to the Department of Education here in Arizona. That's where I learned about policy and, and law and, and funding and, and, and understanding what you're supposed to do with the federal entitlement funding and how you can do it effectively and how you can plan your Title I programs. And that's how I kind of blossomed as, as a leader. I, I developed a training program at the State Department, and then people started saying this C word to me called consult and was not even in my my thought process so in 2012 i took the leap i got an anchor job at a local uh, uh, charter network and consulted on the side and then it flipped where i was consulting more than i uh, was uh, working at the at the anchor uh, job so i went full-time my company is called maverick m-a-v-e-r-i-k education and I want to clarify, I've been a Tom Cruise <laughs> the whole time. This is not jumping on the bandwagon, okay? I've been riding that Tom Cruise train since uh, I was 12, 13 years old. So I'm in risky business for the first time. I was one of those kids. My parents went away, put on my Oxford shirt, my tidy white, <laughs> danced, uh, singing uh, old-time rock and roll. 
So Maverick Education celebrating its 10th year. I uh, started out doing Title I consultation. Then I started writing books. I wrote my first book called Now That's a Good Question, 2016. And my latest one just came out on my birthday last year, 2000, November 29th, 2021. And that's uh, Deconstructing Depth of Knowledge. And uh, really looking forward to seeing what education is going to become and seeing how I can contribute as a leader to really changing and shifting what education could be moving on in the future. Yeah. So, Eric, before we dive into your new book, because I really want to touch on that, I want to go back to what you were talking about as far as mentoring. And, you know, I know there's a lot of positions that are open over the summer and people are getting new jobs and there's a lot of aspiring leaders that are now going to become administrators and you know going through your experience what would you advise them as far as finding a mentor find someone who you can trust find someone who you feel comfortable with you know our, our good friend dave schmidt always got a great book called bold humility yeah love the book and i love the title Dave, you stole a great title. You know, it's a great thing. I, I always say I have bold humility. You know, it's such such a great thing. Yep. Really find someone that you can trust that that will allow you to make the mistakes. And people, you will make mistakes. And it, it's like your first year teaching all over again, intensified because now it's not a classroom with thirty kids. It's a school full of kids and also probably a staff about 30, 40, 50 adults and. That that's the thing. I think you really need to set up a mentor program. You need to pair somebody. You need to have somebody that you can trust. And also, you need to bide your time. One of the things that my lack of success was, I was not ready. I don't think I was ready to go to become the administrator that that I walked away from. But I felt pressure. Uh, you know, I just had my second daughter. I was a tenant's dean, and it's really funny because everything I did as a tenant's dean, I took to another school, and it was resented, and the other school was praised and, and, and acknowledged and, and appreciated, but I just didn't think I was ready, and, and I think you really need to know when you're ready. I think there needs to, you should have a learning curve. Your principal should allow you to have a learning curve. Your superintendents and your assistant superintendents need to allow you to have a learning curve, and, and really, I think schools need to set up some sort of leadership mentor program. I think not just only with the principal that you work with, but have kind of like a big brother or big sister program where it's another administrator, someone that you feel like you can trust, you can talk to. Because, I mean, I'm not sure about your leadership, but I just kind of like got thrown into being, okay, I'm an assistant principal. And now all of a sudden, there's all these rules that were set up before I got there. We had a rule. No backpacks. Um, this doesn't make any sense. Why no backpacks? So, so then, I'm, you know, all these rules were just kind of thrown on me, and like I had to enforce it. Like, wait a minute, can you explain to me why? Just because? Okay. Well, I guess. All right. Why are you not allowing uh, backpacks, Mr. Francis? I don't know. It was here before I got here, but I have to enforce it. So, yeah, I, I think a lot of it. You really need to have a strong leadership mentor program, mm -hmm. and also have a mindset. And you know, it's okay to walk away, and it's okay to realize this is not the kind of school leader I want to be. It's not the kind of education leader I want to be. And I realized I was more of an instructional leader than somebody who was a person about all the other things that come with a school leader. I was more about I want to do professional development. That actually was hopefully my pathway. But yeah. again. Your lack of success can turn into a pathway to success. I would not be this author. I would not, you and I would not be having these conversations probably if I went on the predictable pathway that I 
set myself on. Yep. So that I want to call it a failure because I believe failure is when you don't. Yep. My lack of success turned into a better avenue. So really think about why you want to be an administrator. Mm-hmm. And district schools invest that Title II ESSER money into a leadership mentoring program. Don't yep. just hire someone as an assistant principal or an attendance team and say, boom, hit the ground running and allow them to make mistakes and For allow sure. them to make rookie mistakes like we do with teachers. Yep. So. so true. Let's dive into your book, Deconstructing Depth of Knowledge, a Method and Model for Deeper Teaching and Learning. And for those who haven't had a chance to read the book yet, will you just kind of give us a little synopsis and share a little bit about depth of knowledge? Sure. For the last 10 years, it's been a focus and priority in education. A lot of it came for through the adoption and implementation of, I'm going to call them college and career ready standards because depth of knowledge is usually associated with the common core, but a lot of states have moved away from that. You know, Texas never did it, but still they use depth of knowledge. And depth of knowledge continues to be a focus and priority in education. The problem is, is that much of the information that's been presented and provided about it has been inaccurate and inconsistent. And a lot of it's because of that DOK wheel. So for the last... 10 years when I first learned about depth of knowledge and then I learned that DOK wheel was inaccurate, I really, really became a passion project for me to like go out there and say, okay, this thing's inaccurate. We're not doing it correctly. Then I wanted to write a book about it, but I just really was busy working and then the pandemic hit. So I got torpedoed and I hit an iceberg called COVID and I said, okay, I'm going to write the book. So when I wrote the book, I really not only wanted to say this is what depth of knowledge is, but say, how could this be a model for the future? How could this be a model moving forward? And I really made a point talking to Solution Tree saying, I don't want this to come out during the pandemic. I want this to be a solution as we go through this. I believe it's the method model of the future. So what I did with it was I turned it into a multi-tiered system of support. Uh, it's 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 really an RTI model. So. The DOK level is defined by the standard. Teaching and testing for depth of knowledge. I want to make it clear, teaching and testing for depth of knowledge starts with the standard. But when we're teaching and learning for depth of knowledge, we're tiering it to the level where students are and building upon their strengths so they can rise to reach and go beyond what I call that DOK bar. So the standard sets the criteria for demonstrating proficiency, the DOK level of it, but we begin with the end in mind and say, okay, here's the finish line. Think of it like a finish line. Can you do this? No. Can you do this? No. Can you do this at this DOK level? No. At this DOK level? No. At this DOK level? Yes. Okay, good. Let's start there. And then you build upon it. So again, turning it into more of a strength model and, you know, the book's called Deconstructing Depth of Knowledge, but really it's, I believe it's the missing link in education. I really believe it's that thing, everyone has a thing. You know when you do things, you're like unwrapping standards or you're using blooms and you're just like, there's just something missing. Yeah, I don't know what. That's the okay. That's the way I look at depth of knowledge. I know there's an, another component to it and this is maybe part of that missing link, but the the questioning component, right? That teachers need to do within their classroom. And I'm wondering just what are some strategies that you like to teach on in regards to questioning and inquiry? Well, when I do that with question and inquiry, what I do with it is I say each DOK level, there's four DOK levels, and it's not a taxonomy. Sure. I want to make that very clear. It's not, you don't have to start DOK one to get to DOK four. And a DOK three and a DOK four is not better than a DOK one or DOK two or ideal. 
what I do with it is I created these overarching essential questions for it. So in a DOK1, you're asking, what is the knowledge? Who, what, where, and when? The students need to either recall information or recall how to to answer correctly. And you're either correct or incorrect. So those are your basic factual questions. Or when you're asking to have them cite the text, that's more your basic questions there. DOK2 is how and why can the knowledge be understood and used? This is where students have to comprehend and communicate how they attain their answers. I, I like to say that basically this is where you explain how you attained your answers. Mm -hmm. So it's not so much saying what is two plus two, that's a DOK one. Right. At a DOK two, you're asking how did how can addition be used to find the sum of two numbers? Your math problems are examples. And we that doing that develops that deeper knowledge we need to have in terms of how can we explain our understanding? Can we communicate our comprehension? A DLK3 is, I ask, how and why could the knowledge be understood and used? This is where you start to get more strategic. This is where you start asking hypothetical questions like, what if, what would happen? This is where you're asking them to examine, explain with evidence, causes, connections, consequences. This is where you're doing argumentation. And when you do argumentation, give them options, give them choice. Don't just say something like, should the death penalty be abolished? Should the death penalty be abolished, legally permitted, or it depends upon the situation. So now they have to think critically and use that. Right. And at DOK4, you're asking what else could be done with the knowledge. This is where you're asking the students to take their knowledge, take their understanding, take their awareness that they've acquired and developed and turn it into expertise. I like to say that DLK4 is where you take education, experience, and your endowments, your gifts, and you turn to expertise. It usually takes them out into the real world. It's more of an extensive study. It's not necessarily project-based learning. You can do project-based learning at all the DLK levels, mm -hmm. but this is more so, I, I like to say this, and I, and I talk about this in a book, is that from a student experience, a DLK-1, the student is a student. They're just learning. They're just answering questions back. A DLK-2, the student becomes the teacher. Can they teach it to somebody else? A DLK-3, you're thinking like a disciplinarian. Mathematicians don't solve problems. They say, here's the answer, and this is why mathematically it's, in, it's accurate. Sure. Or you're a literary critic talking about the effect of author's choices, or a scientist doing scientific inquiry, or doing historical analysis. And a DLK-4... Can someone come to you as the expert? This is not only where you've now synthesized what you've learned, but you can also create knowledge. You can take what you've learned and come up with theories, come up with ideas. Have This is where in English language arts you would do author studies or you would do genre studies. What's the common elements between all of Roald Dahl's stories? You know, I like to say also DOK4 is where we can do academic equity. And what I say about academic equity I say academic equality is that everybody has access to the curriculum. You're all reading the same story. You're all answering the same questions. But academic equity, so if we're all reading Charlie and the Chocolate Factory by Roald Dahl, and then I say to you, okay, now I want you to pick another Roald Dahl story of your own and do an author study, or if I'm doing a science fiction unit, or even if I give the kids, here's 25 math problems, pick five every single day and answer the question that was rephrased from the standard and the last five you don't pick that's your test that's academic equity so 
it's about taking student ownership. It's about basically becoming the expert. Mm -hmm. But you know what's really interesting, what I'm saying to people a lot lately? You know, everyone thinks like everyone wants to be a DOK3 and a DOK4, and that's what we all want to get to. What if I said the probably the most essential level is DOK2? And people go, what? And I go, yeah. I mean, it's great that kids can think critically and justify their responses. And it's great that kids can think extensively and do all these things. But DLK2 is really where you can establish and explain with examples how and why you know what you know. It's not the most important, it's not the best, but it's probably essential because it's great that kids can do 25 math problems in the setting. But if they can't explain to me how they attain that answer, then that's a problem because those 25 math problems are not going to be on the assessments. Right. Or it's great you can analyze the development of the theme in the text you're reading in class, but can you do that with another text? How do you do that? Or how did the author use uh, craft and structure? Or that's the thing. I think I, I, I've been talking lately that saying a DLK2 is probably the turning point where you're going from answering correctly to explaining how you know what you know and explaining how you can use what you've learned. DLK3, great. You can justify responses. You want to do a DLK3 every single time? Give the kids the answer and ask why is it correct or incorrect. And a DLK4, of course, it's extensive, but it's that communication piece. And I've been talking a lot about it, especially in the realm of gifted, because our gifted kids can look at a complex problem or a difficult problem and say, oh, the answer's four or whatever the answer is. But how'd you get that answer? That's where they struggle. And communication, I really think communication is basically the focus of the future. Can we communicate our learning? Can we communicate our thinking? And that's why I say I think DLK2 out of all of them is probably the most essential because that's really where students can explain how they know what they know. And then three and four just leads to the deeper levels of understanding, awareness, and expertise. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. So Eric, you talked about the, the future of education, and I know one of your main keynotes is talking about how education needs to be rebooted. So I'm curious on what your thought process is with that and, and what areas need to improve in the world of education. Well, I call it the edu matrix because that's where we're in. And what I like to say is we are teaching and learning in an 18th century agrarian schedule yep. in 19th century classrooms using 20th century curriculum with a no child left behind common core mindset through a pandemic. This is the edu matrix. And if you remember the movie, The Matrix, this is not reality. This is the reality that's been given. Yep. What I like to say, which is unfortunate, every profession, industry, and system learn lessons from the pandemic and move forward. But it, what if I said education didn't? We actually bounced backwards. You know, last year we build back better, come back stronger. But really, we went into when we come to you know Maslow's hierarchy needs, we went to self-preservation because we said we got to return to normal and we, we got to make sure that you know everything is, lack of a better word, everything is awesome. You know, Tom Herrick, one of my great friends and mentor, he likes to say, and, and this is, we've had extensive conversation, is the school we went to 
and the school we worked at on March 13, 2020 does not exist anymore. Yep. Move forward. So you, but you can't just say to teachers, okay, you need to change. Change is a choice. The one thing we can't change is we can't change the situation that we're living in this situation. And really we can't, change or even choose the students what we have the only thing we really can change is ourselves so what i like to say about the edu matrix is when i do this keynote or i do this presentation of schools i go to a local vendor and i buy or local market and i buy a strawberry and a blueberry i don't want to do red pill blue pill because then someone's going to say it's a drug reference right so i tell the teacher said okay look you here you can take the strawberry that means you want to change that means you want to escape the edge matrix you can take the blueberry that means you are choosing to stay in the edge matrix which is fine but you're accepting things it is what it is and i tell teachers and i'm bold enough to say this getting that bold humility bold enough to say this that if you're taking the blueberry and you're just accepting it is what it is then you can't complain you can't say these kids. You can't say this situation because you can't change that. The only thing you can change is you. So I turn around. I have a strawberry. I don't even really want to see who has a strawberry. I have the principals look at that, you know, and make note. So then I go into a whole thing about uh, for the last few years. It, traditionally, we focused on ask the question, how do we teach these kids? With SEL, we focused on how do we reach these kids, and we got to stop siloing our initiatives. So the question I ask is, I say. How do we teach these kids by reaching these kids? And how do we reach these kids by teaching these kids? And then I talk about how things have changed. And I talked about how, what's the story of your students? Not just looking at, you know, who's not coming into your room, but what's the story behind them? That we need to look at our students like an English teacher looks at a book. We don't judge books by its cover. We don't just judge it based upon the words on the paper. We need to look for the deeper underlying meaning, the reasoning behind it. I talk about how standards have shift, and I use this analogy. Um, a, a school I'm working with kind of made me change a little bit, but I use this analogy. I said, the standard is the song we need to teach and the song we all need to play. And I used to play Sheldon the Sheet Music for Eruption sure. by Vanny because that's a huge fan. I'm a huge fan. Um, now I'm using The Song Remains the Same by Led Zeppelin. The problem is, is that Curriculum companies will say, and I'm going to sell you this guitar designed by Eddie Van Halen or Jimmy Page, and you should be able to play that song or so should your kids. Right. No, you need to go be Eddie Van Halen or find your inner Eddie Van Halen and inner Jimmy Page. Have the kids do it. You know, find theirs because you can't just give someone a guitar and say, okay, now you can play the song. You got to tune it. You got to do all this. So these are just little examples. You know, I have this, uh, I think it's funny, analogy where I say, how are tests viewed and used in education? And I play the scene in Jaws where the shark attacks in the pond. And I say, oh, look who the shark went after. The shark is the test. Dun, 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 dun. And here it comes. <laughs> You know, the, the kids are working on the boat. The, the guy, the adults, world's over. Yo, guys, okay over there? Brody's running to go and opt his kid out of the test. They all get knocked in the water. The shark goes after you. Oh, because the kids realize that the ones who are getting bit are the, the teachers, not them. They're moving forward. The worst thing that's going to happen is they get extended learning time. But our school and teachers were getting bit. So yeah. stop calling it a test. Start calling it an assessment and start using it where – now you're not saying, okay, this is a test. Because a test is basically, what can you do that day? But an assessment tells me this is what where you are and where we need to go next. And that's where kids will get the buy-in. So so it, it's kind of my, my S, what I like to call my, my, my fun keynote, my SEL, gets you pumped up. 
Um, I'm actually encouraging teachers before I, and schools before I come in with DOK. Let's talk about this. Let's get let's get the mindset of the teachers before I just kind of hit them hard and say, yeah. okay, your knowledge and stuff. So so that's sure. that's the thing. I I really think we need the shift, but I think we also need to let teachers choose, and they need to because we can't say you need to change because some won't. That's that's the truth, sad but true, yeah. and that's okay because that may not be the school for them. And they may want you to think about going to a school that does have more maybe aligned with their philosophy or ideology. But the only thing we can change is ourselves. And that's what I'm trying to say in that keynote, that the only thing we can change, I had to change through, through this pandemic. Yep. I'm sure you had to change. For sure. And how we did things. So I think that's the message. And, and that's why I think the PD really needs to hit the road for the teachers is that the change comes from us first before we can go change the situation or even change the students because mm -hmm. if we're because we can't mold them and make them what we we would we have to basically figure out who they are and how they can live in this brand new world that we're living in yeah well i i love the analogy of jaws i think that's spot on and the matrix <laughs> is one of my favorite movies is it's right behind me and in, in my bookshelf here and uh, awesome. i think those analogies are are fantastic and and definitely can resonate to the listeners who are are probably dealing with similar situations um, as we speak. So I want to talk about something exciting. You've you got a new book with Solution Tree, and the topic mm -hmm. is something very similar, right, of how to engage in and encourage inquiry with good questions. So when is that coming out, and, and what can we uh, be reading this text? Hopefully next year. Right now, unfortunately, I'm dealing with some writing block. Happens, uh, yeah. You know, the hard part with when I write books, I mean, you've written a book. It's it's a labor of love. True. And, but you want to do something dynamic and you want to do something different. And you don't want to just have another thing out. There's a lot of great books on questioning inquiry written by a lot of great authors. And yep. I think by a lot of pressure I put on myself with it is I'm really trying to really trying to distinguish between we talk about questioning, we talk about inquiry. It's not the same thing. That questioning leads to inquiry and inquiry requires questioning. But you just can't come and say, okay, I'm giving you this experience and this is inquiry and it's the same as questioning. It's not the same. It's, 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 it's kind of, so it's interesting because what I'm kind of going through right now is that there's two ways to spell inquiry. There's the E and there's the I. And yeah, they're used interchangeably, but there's actually a different meaning between them. Because what if I told you inquiry, which is with the E, you're asking questions. Inquiry is you're seeking information to conduct an investigation. So that's kind of where I'm trying to take my book with it to say, okay, there's, and I'm calling it inquiring minds. And I usually spell it with an I because that's the American version. Sure. Way, but I'm like, okay, well, what if there's a double spelling of it? Inquiring minds is how do you get that mind to ask questions again? Because we lose that as we grow older. Kids ask it between two and five, definitely. But once we start school, that's the point. We stop asking questions because the adults are asking it. But inquiring minds is, how do I get the kids to want to get the answers? How do I get the kids interested? So that's kind of what I'm playing with, actually. It's an hour before I started talking to you, that's kind of what I was playing with. I just kind of wrote my editor and said, uh, yeah, I'm having a little writer's block right now. Here's where I think I'm going with this. So so it, it's that's kind of the thing. It's, hopefully it's going to come out next year. That's where I'm hoping to come out. Maybe, uh, Wonderful. maybe next year. So, yeah, I so. can't wait. Definitely be picking up a copy. And I know that you are a very busy man. You're traveling all over the country here this summer. And then also I'm excited to see you at Teach Better 22 in October. Oh my gosh. I am. Can I tell you how excited I am? I mean, <laughs> 
you know, I, I know you're, you're deep apart. You're really a part of it. I'm like on, on the ancillary and Ray always like to say, no, Eric, you're a part of it and everything. I'm like, no, I, I'm, I'm a friend to teach better. And I'm just such a huge fan of it and, and really just appreciative and appreciate, you know, how they, you know, cite my work and use my work and stuff like that. And, and, and it's a great collaboration and, I, and I'm just really, really honored and tickled pink to, you know, be able to present there and, and see you yeah. and see somebody else. And I know in person. All, yeah, have a great time in Ohio that weekend. So everyone kind of come out and, and enjoy the festivities. It's educational. It's enjoyable. It's exactly what it should be. So yeah. I'm really excited about it. Oh, I'm super pumped about the venue too. It's it's going to be such a, a beautiful event. And we have a lot of things in store. Uh, can't divulge everything, but definitely am excited to see you, see your session. And um, you're going to have to come to Podcast Row. I'm going to have to bring yes. you in and uh, at least get a short interview again and, and touch base with you and see all the wonderful things that you're doing. Eric, I know we're, we're getting near the end of our interview here, and I just want to ask something that's actionable and, and something for our aspiring and current leaders. So if they can do something tomorrow or next week or maybe when they come back from the summer to kind of help in their skills with depth of knowledge, what would you advise them to do? Take the strawberry. you know the thing is this control the narrative look nothing's making sense right now but your classroom is where things can make sense that fine we're assessing kids through a pandemic with a standardized assessment in a non-standardized situation how could you use those standards differently how could you and this is something i'm actually doing where Ask yourself these questions, okay? You're teaching your subject and you teach your skill. What is the standard demand? What does the curriculum offer? What do you want those kids to take away? What do you think they need or want? And how can you make it practical and personal? That's what I say was great lesson planning. It's not, don't think about what are you going to do on the first day of school. Think about what are you going to do the last day of the quarter? Plan backwards. And most importantly, my challenge is, how could you get those kids learning deeper and working harder to learn than you teaching? And how could you get them to tell you what they need to know? And how could you, instead of looking for the gaps, search for the strengths? For those who are listening and want to bring you in for a keynote or have you work with their district or maybe just connect with you on social media, how could they do that? Well, you can go to my website. Uh, it's www.maverick, M-A-V-E-R-I-K, no C in Maverick. It's not like the, the pilot. It's a play on my name and my daughter is Madison Avery. And it's M-A-V-E-R-I-K, education.com. My Twitter handle is maverick, M-A-V-E-R-I-K, E-D-U-1-2. I'm on Facebook. Just look me up. If you go to my website, you can actually even text me and there's, there's a thing there and I'll, I'll respond and, and now we'll have a texting conversation through my website. Or um, I also have there a professional development request form where you can tell me what you want. But, but really, it's, it's about really, I'm really looking forward to connecting with educators. I mean, we do this and, and it's kind of funny because we're kind of in these positions now where we're authors and we're doing PD, but we're really still serving. We, our students are our teachers. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's, we need to walk our talk and practice what we preach. And, and that's something I hope that I known for to do with my PD. So www.mavericheducation.com. No see a Maverick, Maverick EDU one, two, no see a Maverick. And I hope to see everyone there. 
Yeah, and so I'll have those in the show notes, and then also I'll have links to Eric's books. Most definitely check out his latest one, Deconstructing Depth of Knowledge, A Method and Model for Deeper Teaching and Learning, and I'll have a link for you to pick that up and and for you to get your own copy. Eric, it has been such a pleasure to speak with you this evening, and I feel like I just got so much information, and I know my listeners did too. Thank you for being on the Aspire to Lead podcast. Thank you for having me. I've been a big fan of your show for a long time, and I consider this to be an honor and privilege, so thank you. Are you excited that in-person conferences are back? I know I am. In fact, I'm excited to announce that I'll be at the 2022 Teach Better Conference this October 14th and 15th in Akron, Ohio. I'll be recording episodes live in Podcast Row, attending sessions, speaking, and connecting with a whole bunch of amazing educators. It would be awesome if you could join us. Head over to teachbetterconference.com register and use the code ASPIRE2022 to save $50 off your two-day registration. I hope to see you in October.